Bibles to James chapter 1, verse 19. James chapter 1, verse 19. And we'll be reading through verse 25, not to verse 27 as is as stated in the bulletin, simply because 26 and 27 will be added to, placed in next week's sermon. And so the title of the message is called Hearers and Doers of the Word. And of course, comes right out of this text itself. James chapter 1, verse 19. This is the Word of God. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we ask a blessing upon your word as we study it together as your people, and that, O oh Holy Spirit, that you would uh, implant this word even deeper within our own hearts as we look intently into the perfect law, the word of God that gives freedom. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, the immediate context of the text is verse 18. And I think verse 18 is good to go back to because it speaks of the new birth through the Word. And James writes, he chose to give us birth through the Word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. I do believe it's obvious that James wants us to be hearers of the word. Yes, we'll get to the doers, but he, he wants us to be hearers of the word because how can one be a doer of the word if one does not have the word in him or her? And it does appear that this word is something that's just not surfacy, but it is deeply planted and watered and weeded, a word that is deep in the hearts of his church. And I think it's quite obvious from the text read and the immediate context of James chapter 1 verse 18 is that those birthed by the word listen to the word. Those who have been born again of the Spirit of God through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Word or the Word of Truth or the Law of Liberty are those who desire to do the Word because their heart has been quickened. Now, when you look at the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
the beginning of his ministry at his baptism, we see the Holy Spirit descending. We see the Father speak, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And immediately we see the Lord Jesus Christ going into the Judean wilderness. And in the Judean wilderness, he experiences the temptations of Satan himself. And in response to a temptation, he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, and it's also in our text in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man does not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word of God is life-giving, soul-nurturing, nourishing. It is not something you merely pick up once a week on Sunday. It's something that sustains you every single day. Every single morning and evening and lunchtime and throughout the day. It is life. Because it's that very word that gave you life. And without that word implanted in you, you would still be dead in your sins and trespasses. So this is a word that has given you life, why wouldn't we want to obey it? It has given you eternity. Why wouldn't you want to obey it? It has given you the treasures of God himself to be his sons and daughters for all eternity. Why wouldn't you want to obey it if you've been born again? Because it, is, it has been implanted in you if you are born again. He speaks of that here in our text, this idea of being implanted in you. And I think not only in James' day, but in our day, I do think there's a, a famine of the Word. We have more resources than ever before to read the Word. We have more translations than ever before to read the Word. I mean, we have like 22 major English translations. That doesn't speak of all the other translations. And more access than ever before in all of human history to this Word. And yet, and yet, you're still struggling to listen, aren't you? Aren't you? You're not even picking it up, are you? You're too busy. I, I know you're out there. James knew that in his congregation as well. They would have had to come to church to hear it. Most of them would have not been able to afford a scroll. They would have had to come to the community of believers in order to hear this word consistently, which meant they usually met every single day in the ancient world. Every single day they would meet together as the church to hear the word of God. And so when we look at this context in verse 19, this idea of be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, that has to do with the word of God primarily, first and foremost. That has to do with the word of God. You and I, as those who have been given birth through the word of truth, ought to be quick to listen slow to speak, slow to become angry. The first one, quick to listen. How many of you struggle with listening? I will raise my hand. Good, there's some, I'm glad we have some people willing to raise their hand. I was, I'm just horrible at it. But it's very clear, I need to be quick to listen. 
quick to listen. In many ways, this, this principle of being quick to listen is avoiding the importance of what I think in a me world. Because often we might hear something, hear the word, and we might think, oh, well, this is what I think it means. You know, there's a time where I know for myself I just need to be quiet, to be silent and be quick to listen to God's word and slow to speak. That's not easy for a guy that likes to gab. Slow to speak? Anyone have a hard time being slow to speak? My goodness. I know there's lots of you. We hear something, we want to be quick to listen, but sometimes that slow to speak is a good thing. It's a good discipline, isn't it? Quick to listen, slow to speak, because it helps you. Actually, being slow to speak helps you to listen, doesn't it? They actually go together. You have to have them together in order to be a good listener. And that kind of listening is an act of love, isn't it? It's an act of love to be quick to listen, slow to speak. And so when we do that with the Word of God, when we come to the Word of God that's before us, when we're quick to listen and slow to speak, it's an act of love for God. And I do believe this does emanate, this, does, this ought to go out into our own lives as well. I've quoted this before, but it, I went back to it again. Kiss to Mocker, he's a, a commentary, uh, he has a commentary on this very book of James, says, listen, listening is an art that is difficult to master. Anybody relate with that? My goodness, I, my hands are, I got two hands right here, like a charismatic, there we go. Listening is an art that is difficult to master, for it means to take an intense interest in the person who is speaking. That is a rebuke for us talkers. That is a rebuke. It's a good one. Thank you, brother. I needed that. Listening is the art of closing one's mouth and opening one's ears and heart. Listening is loving the, the neighbor as oneself. His concerns and problems are sufficiently important to be heard. I like what he says. It's good to be rebuked by another brother as they're expositing the word of God. And that rebuke is there to make me a better listener. And thus to be a better follower of Jesus Christ, a better husband, a better father, a better friend. You know, I, I do like uh, the humor of Proverbs sometimes. It's, you know, tongue-in-cheek. Proverbs 17, 28 says, even a fool is thought uh, wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. I need to hold my tongue a lot more, right? Because then I'm, th I'm, th I'm, I mean, th there's a joke there, but it's, it is meant to be funny, but also it's to make you self-reflective. You know, do I, how many times do I act like the fool when I use my mouth? How often should I silence my mouth and just listen and not be quick to speak? And how often did my moments where I was quick to speak create anger and conflict? How many of you have said something that you should not have said right today? Today. I'm not even talking tomorrow or yesterday or the day before. But how many of you said something today that you're going, oh, I shouldn't have said that? Because often, if we are quick, slow, to, slow to listen and quick to speak, we often say stupid things, right, that create conflict. 
I mean, this is conflict 101. How many of you did that with your wife this morning or yesterday or this week or your husband? Because there is this selfishness in us still, isn't there? Even as those who have been born of the Spirit, even with the, as those who have had the Word implanted, we still have this way of mucking things up. And what does God say about this life? For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. The conflicts that our mouth creates does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Now, I've often used my mouth, right? And, you know, made a muck of things and then tried to justify myself with the same mouth. Ever done that? And you keep doing that? It's a family tradition. Anybody have that family tradition? It, it doesn't help. It's never brought peace. It's never brought shalom. It's never brought wholeness. It's never brought real joy. It's just pride's illusion of joy. Kind of a weird, unhappy joy. So what is this righteous life that God desires? I mean, it says it very clearly. That man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So what brings about the righteous life that God desires? Well, we know it's quick to listen and slow to speak. And that's quick to listen to God's word and slow to speak. Rest underneath the word. I, I, I'm, I, if you've studied in seminary, what you learn sometimes, unfortunately, is how to be over the word. And what you really need to be is under the word. Often we are the masters. It's the opposite. The word is the master you're on the ground, you're low. You're below. But just thinking about this language that he uses in verse 21. Therefore, get rid of or take off your clothes. Take off your mor moral filth and, and evil that is so prevalent, that is super everywhere kind of thing. It's, it's everywhere in society, James is saying. It's no different now, 2,000 years later. Take it off. Now, this language is really important for us to hear because in baptism, in the ancient church, we have details of baptism. They would strip off their clothes. This was a literal practice. So the outward clothes were to be taken off because they represented moral filth and evil. And so in your baptism, you are declaring the reality that you are leaving that life of moral filth and then you're going into the baptismal, and then coming out of the baptismal, dressed in white, anointed with olive oil, representing the anointing of the Holy Spirit, because you have been born again of the Holy Spirit. So this language was even part of the church's imagination. To take off one's clothes is how one enters into the kingdom of heaven, in the worship service. To take off those, that moral filth. Now, Romans, I think, reflects this quite well. This is going to, of course, to Paul in Romans chapter 13, verse 12. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds or take off the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness nor sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissensions and jealousy. Take it off. That's, that, that is... 
the righteous life that God requires of you is to live a holy life. So leave behind your old life. Keep doing it. It appears that this is a perpetual reality, this idea of repentance, right? Turning from moral filth and evil and turning towards Christ. In Hebrews, talking about the race, Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, speaking of chapter 11, the hall of faith in the Old Testament, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This is the righteous life that God requires. Everything that's entangling you and tripping you up in the heavenly race, you need to take it off. You need to live it behind. And you know what that is right now. Right now, you know exactly what that is. What is tripping you up in your life? What good thing has become an idol that you need to jettison? What good thing has become an idol that you need to get rid of because it is actually hindering your race? Your heavenly race. Your pursuit of Christ. This is the life that God desires of his people. And secondly, we see very clearly in verse 21, the second half, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Or you could actually say at the end, the power to save your soul, or suke, where we get psychology from, is that last word. The translator NIV chose not to do that. The sense is still the same. The sense is still the same. Which can save you. And what kind of receiving is that? Is it a one-time receiving? How are we to humbly receive the word that was already planted in us? Perpetually, right? Continually. As we're casting off those things that so easily entangle us because you ever notice the things that keep easily entangle us? They seem to keep coming back. You seem to keep putting on the same clothes for some reason. Well, why is that? The stubbornness of sin, always there. And so the stubbornness of the Christian life to humbly take up the word again and again and again as we take off the sins, the idols that so easily entangle us so that we might be effective hearers of the word or humble hearers of the implanted word, thus becoming doers of the word. And so we look at that, la that second section, be doers of the word. You know, there's fundamentally two different kinds of people here in, this, in the text. There's Two different people. The, the first person is the guy who looks in a mirror as the illustration, looks at himself, and he goes, okay, I see it. And then right away when he leaves the mirror, turns around, he completely, utterly forgets what he looks like. I, I do like that language because it's almost as the word of God. God's word is to me to be our identity. It's to shape our identity. But if it's not shaping our identity, it makes sense that we would forget what we look like, and then not be doers of the word because it has no impact on our suke or soul. Thus the need to humbly accept the word planted in you perpetually. 
Now, these two different kinds of people Jesus talks about at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. So he teaches. He has all these people listening as he sits in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee on the mountain, and he's teaching in a rabbinic style, and he ends his Sermon on the Mount with these words. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. There's two different kinds of people, fools and the wise. Two different kinds of people to Jesus, those who listen to me and those who do not. And remember, he was, he was teaching to a church audience. Many people who were, were in the synagogue were part of the religious community of Israel. But within that community, there were those that were wise who would listen to his word and put it into practice and those who were fools who would listen but not do. I think that can be a problem in our life too, can't it? I mean, you might be wise in the ways of Christ, but... Why do you keep doing the same sins again and again and again and again and again? Is that a wise thing? We do, don't we? We keep stumbling upon the same stumbling blocks often. I think James knows that. And he knows that this needs to be taught. He knows that the church needs to hear this and you need to be intent about this, this idea of looking intently into the word of God. If we're to be really to be doers, to be wise men and women who are doers of the word, we need to be, as verse 25 says, be looking intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. What did God say? What did Yahweh say to Joshua before he was going to enter the promised land to do battle, to do a lot of doing? Right? He says this to, to him. Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. But you've got to meditate on it, Joshua. It can never depart from you. It can never depart from your imagination. It can never depart from your heart. And it can never depart from your will. It is my will for your conquest of Israel, of Canaan at the time. But it can never depart. Look intently, Joshua. Look intently. And of course, Psalm 1, the beginning of the Psalter says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. The wise man the wise woman's delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You know, it appears that the, the word of God keeps going again, around and around and around to the same truths. That I need more of the Bible, I need more of God's voice in my life, and no way do I have enough, and neither do you. Some of you barely have any time for God's voice. You're too busy with the world. 
James is saying, everybody's busy. Look intently into the word. May it never depart from your heart, from your mind, from your doing. May it be who you are. Look intently, my sons and daughters. And there's a blessing, isn't there, in this doing of the word. There's a blessing at the end of verse 25. I'm going to read that verse again. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. This is to live a life of blessing. To live a life of blessing. You know, Jesus had a heckler in the crowd. You know, even Jesus had hecklers. I don't know if she was a heckler. But she did have something to say about his mother. And a woman in the crowd called out and said, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And, and granted, Mary is the most blessed of women. I mean, she bore the Son of God. She is Theotokos, as the church, history of the church has said, the mother of God. But Jesus' response to her was, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. I hear you. I hear you. But blessed are those who hear my word and obey my word. You're the blessed men and women. Isn't that true? How did you become a son or a daughter of the living God? It was through the word, wasn't it? By the Spirit. We know that the, the Word of God is called the sword of the Spirit, right? But that's how you became a son or daughter, is by the Word. By this perfect law. And I, I do want to look at, there's two parts. There's the perfect law, and then there is the law of liberty, or gives freedom. Now, it's, it is clear that when the psalmist sings, David is singing. He's delighting. He says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. See, making wise even the most simple of people. But it's his delight. You hear that? It's a perfect law. It's perfect because it comes from God, because it reflects God's perfect character. I, that's why in the Ten Commandments, as I was reading it, I was trying to reflect that as we went through. Each commandment is a reflection of God's perfect character. Do not murder because God gives life. Do not commit adultery. Why? Because God's faithful. Christ is a faithful husband, isn't he, to his church. And is the church that faithful? We're more like Gomer at times. Or do not steal because God is generous. He gives good gifts to his children. Do not bear false witness because God's word is true. So, so when you come to the word, whether that's the law or, or, the, or the writings or, or the prophets, whether that's poetry or narrative or apocalyptic literature, all of it is a reflection of the character of God, of God himself speaking to us, his people. And so when we come to the law especially, like the Ten Commandments in, in Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20, we come to the character of God. 
being reflected. And God's law is perfectly suited to life in this world. Now, now people might not think it, it is, but I do believe it is because if you're faithful in your relationships, it will go well with you, won't it? If you're faithful in your marriage, often the other person is faithful. That leads to great blessing. If you honor your parents, right? You know, and, and actually don't give them lift service, but give them true service. It's a different kind of service. Lip service is not true service. But you give them true service, you tell the truth. Does not that bring prosperity to you, O oh parents? When your kids tell the truth, isn't that freeing? Because if your kids are always lying to you, that's not very freeing, is it? Especially when they're supposed to come home at, mid, at 12, 11 o'clock and it's off 3 o'clock in the morning. You ever been there? That, that's a fun one. Sounds like more like myself. But it, it's perfectly suited for this world. That's <laughs> why he's teaching. I mean, this, this law is for living in this world. And if you live according to this law, of course, in the power of the Holy Spirit, through the wondrous gospel of Jesus Christ, you will live a life of, the next phrase, liberty or freedom. Actually, James talks about this idea of the law giving freedom in James chapter 2, verse 12. It says, speak and act as those who are doing, who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Isn't that interesting? The same law that judges you as sinners, that says you and I are guilty as sin, is the same law that gives freedom. Isn't that interesting? Well, it judges you because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But in Christ Jesus, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us and was crucified for us in our place so that we might be forgiven, we now have this liberty, right, this freedom to obey the law in the power of the Spirit. I do not want to minimize that because who dwells in you? Who dwells in you, sister? Who dwells in you, brother? The Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, the creator of the universe who gave you new life from death to life. What, so that you might have no power? No, that you might have power to crucify the flesh and to live a righteous life, which is a life of freedom. Remember Jesus, even in his prayer, when he's praying, he makes very certain that we do his will, right? He's praying that I would do his will on earth as it is in heaven. Is that prayer there to shackle you or to free you? It's there to free you. It's there to have the shackles come off. But that same law that judges you is the same law that gives you freedom. As you live for Christ in this very short breath of a life. Because it's so short. Brothers, sisters in Christ Jesus, has the word been planted in you? Or should I just say, has the word been planted in you? Are you born again of the Spirit of God? Do you actually know him in the power of his Spirit? Has that word of God come into your heart that a flame of repentance and belief in Christ Jesus has arisen in you? And do you humbly accept that word given for you like manna from heaven so that you would take it up and be nourished and fed in your wilderness pil pilgrimage? Are you taking it up? 
Are you humbly taking it up so that you might be both not only hearers, but you would also be doers of the word? Do we need help for that? Oh, my. Help me, Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit to do, to be a doer of the word and actually a hearer. You know, they're both acts of obedience, aren't they? To be a hearer is to be a doer. And to be a doer is to be a hearer. You can't separate the two. May God richly bless you this week. Richly bless you. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we feel our, our, we know, we know it. Our flesh is weak. But our spirit is willing. You have planted your word in us. You have given us life. Help us to humbly take up your word. Help us to be hearers and doers of the word. And in so doing, you would again sing to our heart the glorious music of your love. And it would be so seen in our relationships, in our conversations, in our listening, in all of life, so that you would be glorified. Our hearts would be still and at peace, full of freedom from the shackles of sin. Oh, help us, Holy Spirit. Oh, help us, interceding Son. Oh, glory to you, O oh Father in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our Psalter hymnals out to number 4.